Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. My next guest on West Coast Live is a jazz musician, trombonist, a jazz radio host, and also a bon vivant and interviewer. And he has a collection of his recordings and material that he did as a, uh, as a younger man out to, as a coil and sharp. Will you please welcome Mal Sharp to West Coast Live. How do you do? Tip jar story. You have a tip jar story? I have a tip jar story, especially for Mike over there. <laughs> we used to play at Enrico's, our band Big Money and Jazz, and everybody knows I was part of this comedy team, Coil and Chart, doing pranks in the early 60s. And so the audience in San Francisco usually knows I'm putting them on. And one night we had this big wedding party in front of us, like 20 people, the bride and groom, and I announced to the crowd there that the band that had a meeting and all the money in the tip jar was going to the bride and groom tonight. <laughs> and the bartenders and everybody applaud. And we pass out the tip jar. So during, we came time for the break, I'm leaving, and the maitre d' comes over, he says, Mal, we got a big problem. I said, what is it? He said, well, the wedding party believe you, and they, <laughs> and they want their money back. <laughs> so as I'm leaving for the break, I look back, and circle around our tip jar is the wedding party, and they're pulling out $20 bills. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hoisted on my own petard there. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> petard, that's a great word. You know the origin of the word petard? Uh, no. no, you would probably. It's that, it's that, uh, it's that sort of, uh, it's, it's flatulence. And uh-huh. so, uh, so it's people, a ma- people think it's like a sword or yeah. something. Oh, a flatulence. matter of propulsion, you mean, hoisted yeah. by, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it's sort of being embarrassed by, you know, yeah. on your own. Well, let's see if Mike... It's Shakespearean. It's Shakespearean. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Sage? Right now. Oh, I've been hoisted in my own regard by that time. So uh, this is... This is you, you've moved into a new technology here. You, yeah. you've, you've got these, these great moments of, of uh, Coil and Sharp out on three CDs and a DVD. What a, what a change in technology. Did you do these like on your own computer? And what was the technology when you first started doing these interviews. Uh, uh, what, and this was in the 60s. Yeah, in the 1960s. Well, there was no technology. We, we kind of pioneered this. Uh, we wanted to do, my partner Jim Coyle and I, he was like a put-on artist. He was a guy who could not live without putting people on 24 hours a day, and I like to hang out with him. <laughs> so we decided to uh, try and record some of these escapades in funeral parlors and places like this with a hidden tape recorder. So we had to go down to Brooks' camera here, all the, uh, the private eyes hung out, to get a miniature tape recorder. There wasn't all this little technology then. So we got this thing that Hal Lipset, a famous uh, San Francisco private eye, had. It was a little thing called a Mohawk. It was about as big as I'm holding up a paper folded in half. We put it in a briefcase. It only ran one way. If you wanted to listen to the sequence after this kind of cassette thing ran, you had to run it back like a fishing reel, you know, <laughs> sit outside after you recorded something and run it back. And uh, we put it in a little briefcase uh, with a little microphone sticking out and walked around San Francisco uh, putting the briefcase down on tables and uh, uh, drugstores and things like this to, uh, to record people. And no one had really done this at this time, so there was no technology, and uh, we sort of started the whole thing off, the whole pranks. I'm not saying we, we were the grandparents of the pranks thing. How, how did you get this on the radio? I don't know. You know, today it's kind of a miracle how any, you know, it really is because we went around, we had these weird tapes putting people on and stuff and we went around to all these stations. 
We got thrown out of KSFO. We got, we got but somehow the, we did a record for Warner Brothers and this program director in Chicago, Jim Dunbar, he was coming out here to San Francisco, heard us and they were starting, which then was the new KGO, was the first kind of uh, creation of what it is now. And he hired us. We'd never done a radio show. This is impossible to get on a market, you know, in a major market, just two guys who were like living in little rooms in San Francisco. And suddenly we had a, we had a job, you know, and uh, we were on uh, six, six nights a week in San Francisco, 1963. What time did you go on the air? I mean, we were on from uh, 7 to 10 every night. We recorded stuff on the streets of San Francisco, like Market Street, down with all the felons near the cable car <laughs> turn around. And the tourists coming in on the boats from uh, England in those days, they would come down to the end of the Market Street and walk up, and we would always uh, hit them. If we could, they were suckers for us. <laughs> so what, so I, I don't know why you, Mike is laughing, but you know, then in those days, English people, you just came back from England, Everyone dresses alike now, yeah. uh, you know, the right. Germans, the English, but then you could spot uh, a limey coming down the street <laughs> with the kind of clunky uh, brown leather shoes, the tweedy jacket, the yeah. bad necktie, right, Mike? Yeah. You probably came to America in those things. Yeah, it's true. It's so, so, you, so you go up to somebody like this, uh, you know, your Mark, and what do, you, what do you do? What's your premise? How do you begin? Well, I mean, if it was an English guy, uh, usually, we, we had all kinds of things, you know, we would sort of draw them out, but, uh, you know, we would tell them there was some underground ritual happening in San Francisco where people and animals would wrestle <laughs> in these moats, and how did he feel about this, and he would say, well, it sounded kind of interesting, and then we would say, you know, would you like to go down and see something like this, would you wrestle with animals to the death? And he would say, no, I'd abhor doing something. We always liked the language was so different. I'd abhor, I'd, I'd abhor doing that kind of thing. And then uh, we tell him that we were the guys running the ritual and, and that he had agreed to come down and, and he had agreed to participate. And he would say, no, I didn't. We say, yes, you do. We have it on tape. Uh, and try to get people to yell and scream at us and uh, trying to be imaginative, you know, it was fun. There were two of us and we could fantasize and while one person was talking one of us the other guy could think up a new image in their mind to, to get these people hooked in would you would you go back to the studio and edit these or would you air them uninterrupted no we had a, an editor pete scott he would r arrive in his little volkswagen bug at about four o'clock in front of let's say the uh, the uh, uh, sheridan palace hotel on market street we would hand him all these tapes we had recorded that day he would run back to his house out near the cliff house in the basement we had this thing called a viking tape recorder he would edit them, remember all the splicing tape and all that stuff? And then he would bring them down, 12 of them, to KGO for the next day's show. So every day we had to do 12 good things on the street, which wow. was not, that was a lot. And then we had a host on the show, Jim Moore, and he would introduce Coyle and Sharp, and we had a, you know, and this was a show. And in the course of two years, boy, we got a Newsweek story. We were hitting the jackpot, uh, Sedge. We were hitting the jackpot. And then, and then uh, did Hollywood call? We went down to L.A. Well, we didn't tell KGO this. We went down. We decided uh, we got a contract with a, a producer down there. We didn't tell him we were leaving. And we went down to Hollywood to, to strike it rich. We kept doing the radio show. We did it mostly on the Santa Monica Pier. And we would say things like, we're here on Powell Street today. <laughs> These people on the Santa Monica Pier would be looking at us, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're here in North Beach on Columbus Avenue. And we did the show for about three months, and then uh, I went back. But we, one of us would hang out in San Francisco periodically to convince them we were still here. Not to convince them, just we'd drop into the station, tell them, you know. 
And I remember one day I was telling the sales uh, leader, you probably had this experience. I mean, most people have had experience like this. I'm telling him that we're, you know, Coyle and I are really willing to do anything he wants, you know, any promotions or anything like that. And you can see by the look in the guy's eyes, you've been fired. Have you had that? Yeah. You know, you're, you're going on about something, you get that look like, you know, your history. And yeah. indeed, some ABC executive from New York uh, was hired. He came out to San Francisco, and as he came out, he was going over the Bay Bridge. He told me this 25 years later. He heard Coyle and I on the radio, and he said, what is that material doing on ABC? <laughs> and so we got canned, but that's all right. <laughs> how, did, how did this translate to television, or did it? Well, we went down to Los Angeles. Uh, it was a little bit hard doing television because we really, all the stuff on this, most of the stuff on this uh, uh, three, this box set here, these two men are imposters, is radio material. And we were very much into the theater of the mind. We really liked that, painting the picture. Um, and I still think this is the best coil and sharps, so these imagery, the images of radio. Um, so doing television was a little harder. You know, we had to uh, try and think of visual things in, in one sequence. Uh, we, uh, we got the, uh, the pool of an executive in Hollywood, and uh, I was in the pool as a, uh, as a sort of deranged brother and coil, my partner. We had called up a delicatessen in Beverly Hills, and they delivered some sandwiches, and, and uh, Coyle told the guy that uh, his, you know, me, the brother, was deranged. I had some weird cap on, and that the guy from the deli would have to feed me the sandwiches. He was a little Jewish man, you know, from uh, Cantor's. And so as he bent over with the corned beef sandwich, I would, like, lunge out of the pool, making weird sounds at him, oh, oh, like this, and he would scream. And Anyway, uh, that never got out to the show because the William uh, Morris agents thought I looked deranged and was politically incorrect. And uh, anyway, uh, we did stuff like that, you know. <laughs> well, the, the, part of the purpose, you were supposed to look deranged, I thought, in that skit, but anyway. Yeah, well, that was the point of it, you know, but suddenly you're involved with Hollywood, you know, and they can, they can just uh, think everything to death down there. So, uh, and Jim uh, left this veil, uh, this mortal coil, mortal yeah. coil. <laughs> hoisted on his own petard, probably. <laughs> it didn't, it didn't yeah. happen to Scotty? Wasn't Scotty's ashes supposed to go up and sort of... Anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know that's a good one, hoisted on his own petard. Uh, that's something to think about. Um, yeah, Jim passed... Well, he didn't pass away. He, was, uh, he, he got into tunneling, and he was... What's wrong, Mike? Tun tunneling? He liked... What do you call those people? They go into tunnels underground? What? Spelunkers? You go cave? Like going into yeah, caves? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he was more into this kind of weird thing. It was like borrow, borrowing, 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 borrowing underground. And he was digging some tunnel um, under the city of Barcelona. This was years after we split up, and a cave crashed in on him, and he was, uh, he was, he may be down there today. <laughs> Maybe down there today. But he was a great, no, go ahead. He would, he would just like start digging tunnels? To see where they went, he he uh, he he liked to jokingly refer to himself as the mole man, the mole man, and he would uh, yeah he could like even here in San Francisco he lived over on Green Street uh, in the Pacific Heights and he had a little background backyard, but he could like go out there and just start burrowing with his head. He had a little helmet with a point on it, <laughs> and he could burrow into the ground and he would disappear under and then. Uh, you know, maybe later that afternoon, I'd get a call from uh, uh, the Presidio, and he had come up in the grass over there. I mean, he could do this, really. It's true. We have just stepped in to a yeah. coil and sharp routine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> anyway, Coel was great fun. He had a great imagination. And even as I'm sitting here, you know, you get me into this, Sedge. Why did I ever give this up? Yeah. <laughs> and Jim was such a big jazz fan. You see, there's this connection between comedy yeah. and jazz. Jim Dunbar. Oh, Jim Dunbar. I thought you meant Jim Coyle. Uh, yeah, Jim Dunbar ah. hired us uh, at KGO, is a big jazz fan, and uh, that was weird. He's a weird guy, too. He's weirder than he looked. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah he looked pretty straight. He looked pretty straight. We used to call him uh, uh, Jim Dunbar. We used to call him the second lieutenant at KGO. Not, not to his fa face, but uh, anyway. Um. So what is, what's been the, uh, the reaction among the, the younger set to this, uh, this thing? I mean, this is, this is, this is material that's now... Uh, 40 years old, but it's, it's, it's as trippy as anything you know, I've ever heard. I would say, weirdly enough, our, our greatest audience is kind of you know, people under 30. There's something about the imagination in this and the idea that these pranks, which today some pranks have kind of sunk. I don't know if you folks watch those shows. Some of them are good, some aren't. A lot of this pranking stuff has just gotten pretty crude and vulgar and kind of getting people to yell and scream on a pretty simplistic level. So when people go back and hear this material that we did, you know, 40, 45 years ago, and, you know, hear the imagination, the word imagery, and the guts some of these things took to walk around with a hidden tape recorder or just, you know, bug people on the street without profanity. Well, to go up to somebody and, and say that, that uh, what was it, your, your uncle died and, and you, you wanted to get a coffin the right size, and would somebody be willing to get in the coffin because they were about the size of your uncle? I mean, you know. That's close enough. <laughs> Yeah, we did a lot of things at antique stores in San Francisco where we would go in and say our uncle had passed away and uh, before signing some document that was going to give us all his money. And uh, we wanted to uh, dig him up, uh, bring him back to life in the surroundings he was accustomed to. And, and your antique store has all the furniture, uh, you know, so we want to bring him in tonight and we have some way of getting his arm to move and get his document signed. And, <laughs> this, is, this is why it appealed to me as a teenager hearing it late at night on the radio and why some ABC executive would go, what the heck is this? You know, hey, he's not working anymore, Sedge. And we are. And we are, we, yeah. Well, I hope so. Radio, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's amazing. So you have something to read. What is this? Have we got enough time for this? I don't know. What is it? Well, it's, uh, it's a sequence called The Pharmacist. It's Jim and I. It's one of our early uh, things here. Uh, I don't want to take up the whole show. You know what I'm saying, Sedge? No, I mean, this no, is your no. show. You're going over this now, like, is there enough time? And, uh, you know, we don't, you know, we could do something else. I could, I could uh, tell another tip jar story. Or I could read part of this. Read part of it. Do you want me to read part of it? A little tap dance what? would be nice. Do you want me to read part of it, or do you want to... You uh, want to be... Do you, uh, 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 all right, you want to be Jim Coyle? Oh, no, I'll be Jim Coyle, and you'll be me. How's that? And, and, and there's a pharmacist. Should we have Mike be the pharmacist? No. No, 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 no. no. It'll, get, it'll just get too confusing. Uh, even you and I are going to be too confusing here. I want to read part of it, and we'll see how confused we get. All right. So this is from the, the, the pharmacist from what, what? What is this from? Okay, this is... Uh, I'm confused myself here now, Sedge. You're putting me on. You're boggling my mind. Okay, this is from... Uh, this is one of our earlier sequences, about 1962. We're walking around with that Mohawk tape recorder, and we walk into a drugstore out on the Outer Mission District, a uh, freestanding little drugstore with a pharmacist standing there, Monroe Mendelssohn. Uh, we became friendly with him after this. And uh, we went down, we uh, put the uh, tape recorder down next to his gas register, and this is what happened. I'll, I'll be Jim Coyle, okay? And we oh, no. Also be Mal Sharp? I don't know now, I'm confused here. Well, let's just see what happens. 
Why don't okay. you do both Jim and Mal, and I'll do the pharmacist. Okay, here we go. We're starting off, okay? I'm Jim Coyle first. Say, what do you have here in your drugstore that we can use to sterilize with? Sterilize what? Operating equipment. Uh, oh, I say that. Okay. Jim says, let me say this right away. I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to perform an operation, or what you would call an operation on this man. He points to me. I think I've read enough. And then I say, and I've agreed. And Jim says, the only problem now is getting the stuff sterilized. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this much. Legally, whether you've agreed to or not, I, you could be in trouble. I'll explain. I'm going into his chest. He's got a pain there, and frankly, he's, he's not of such economic posture that he can go to a doctor. I'm going to go in and take a look. We have enough equipment to light it up. Wouldn't, wouldn't you qualify for a county hospital? Then Mal says, I don't want to have anything to do with the city of the state. He's a friend of mine. We've gotten quite a few books from a medical library. We've read up on the subject. How high is your education? Uh, may I ask you this question formally? Yes, Jim says. Third year of high school. I have finished third year of high school. I would a thousand percent advise you against it. A thousand percent, really. We're going to do it right now. We're going to go into a station wagon, wagon right across the street here. I'm going to open them up, press something. I have pretty good sewing equipment. You're looking for trouble. I, I don't know you. You both seem intelligent and rational. Uh, and I don't know where the hell you've got the guts to do this. This is a medical do-it-yourself. It's rough. It's tough. And the first time, there's problems. After the second or third time, you know what you're getting into. Come here. I'm going to show you something. I hold something up. That's a, a clear plastic model of the human body. That's right, and it comes apart. One thing it doesn't show is the blue of the lungs. The heart's back here. You've got veins, you've got arteries. Jim says, can't you see them when you go in? <laughs> yes, but sometimes they're hidden by mesenteries. A, a mesentery is like a connective tissue. I quizzed Jim on mesenteries. He got that right. Well, let me ask you another question. What makes you think the pain in the chest is of a surgical nature? It's a stab in the dark, but I'm willing to take the chance. <laughs> now let's play games. The pain in your chest, does it travel? Well, sometimes I feel it beginning in my stomach and then it juts into my chest, kind of like swirling. D does eating have any effect on it? Well, sometimes after a meal I faint. <laughs> and Jim says, I just, uh, I just throw water on him. And you've been there when this happened? Well, I was going to operate on him once, but his mother came in. I'm telling you this. This is not the dark ages. Don't. Jim says, I read about massaging, massaging the heart in the newspaper. You know, I thought if I just went in and massaged it, even if the problem wasn't the heart, it would work out. Well, on a statistical basis, uh, you're doing the wrong thing. Jim says, you think I'm going to kill him? Well, you're going to do something so dangerous. Well, if he goes, Jim says, and there's very little possibility, Mal, as I see it, that you go, and I say, not according to the books. Forget the books. I've read them for two days now. Two days? Doctors go to medical school for four full years. Yeah, but they're not going to operate on the whole human body. This is just one little part. Can we get some... Can we get... This really happened, you know. Can we get some cleaning powder? I wouldn't sell you a Kleenex. How about something to knock them out? No, I won't lead you or mislead you. Can we park our station wagon across the street if anything goes wrong? If anything goes wrong, I'll call the police. How about some film to take pictures? I'll sell you film. That's not medical. Can I show you the equipment we have? I wouldn't look. Before I owned this drugstore, I was a biochemist. I would go to hospitals and I would see doctors. Sometimes you'd see a surgeon and he would look like the last rose of summer. He'd lost a patient. A top man can lose a patient. I'm not going to lose you, Mal. What do you mean you're not going to lose him? I guaranteed it. I put something in writing for his mother. If he goes, you'll be in jail, little fellow. That's why we wanted to park the station wagon right across the street. If we need help, you could prescribe something. No. Can we do it at your house? Are you joking? 
You know what Shakespeare said, get thee to a nunnery, get thee to a surgery. You're doing a good job on this, uh, uh, Sedge. <laughs> you don't think I have the guts to do it. Guts? Hold up, men have guts. That doesn't mean they have brains. And the only reason I'm talking to you is that you seem like literate people. I believe in free speech. I just don't see the risk. Of course there's risk. I'll give you an example that gives you chills down your back. I had a 1947 DeSoto. I brought it to Marshall and Clampett, the DeSoto distributor in Los Angeles. It had transmission trouble. They tore, they tore the damn thing down five times and couldn't fix it. They said, five times we give up. They've got the best mechanics and it's just replacement parts, right? Now, if you damage his heart, do you realize what's gonna happen? What? There are no replacement parts for the heart. So forget about it and go away. Good job, Sedge. <laughs> Mal Sharp, Jim Coyle in absentia. So, that's a transcript yeah. of, of what was totally improvised. Everywhere, I mean, it was just as it happened. Yeah, no, that, it's even longer. This is a bridge. No, this pharmacist was a great guy and a real humanitarian. By the way, there's no replacement for, for the heart. I mean, that, that's long gone by the boards. Yeah, no, he was a wonderful guy. He was one of the nicest men we ran into, and, uh, and uh, he really cared about us and didn't want us to operate. You know, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, Mal Sharp, who, uh, whose voice you still hear in various, uh, various venues and uh, media around the, around the world. His uh, collection is called Three CDs, One DV. Uh, these two men are imposters, Coyle and Sharp. They're coyleandsharp.com, C-O-Y-L-E and Sharp. And not an ampersand, but spelled out A-N-D. A link on our website, wcl.org. Yeah, it's got a petard in the middle, Coyle. <laughs> <laughs> Mal Sharp, thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. This is Sedge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here, and we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.